This is the Emergency Medical Minute, sponsored by Health One. Hello, Emergency Medical Minute listeners. This is Nancy Lorenzon, faculty in biological sciences at the University of Denver and pre-health advisor for the university. I want to tell you about an awesome event that we're hosting later this month. On November 21st to the 24th, clinicians, educators, policymakers, and community will gather at the University of Denver for the first Colorado Behavioral Health and Wellness Summit. The intersection of mental health and substance use continues to be a challenge in the state of Colorado, as you know. The University of Denver, the Mental Health Center of Denver, and EnvisionU join forces to create the summit as we share a collective commitment to encourage neighbors, friends, family, and colleagues from all around Colorado to learn more about behavioral health issues and substance use disorder. At this summit, speakers and presenters will engage our community to break down silos statewide and to bridge gaps in communication and collaboration. The summit will provide various audiences with approaches to awareness and education, training and clinical practice, and policy advocacy in action. Participants are able to discover new tools and resources, discuss practical strategies for change, and connect with colleagues and experts. We hope this community collaboration will foster an increased focus on tackling these difficult issues. The event is free and open to the public, and we hope you all join. For more information, please visit our website at portfolio.du.edu slash CO health and wellness summit, or you can contact me at nancy.lorenzon at du.edu. All right. Thanks. I'm Jared Scott from Swedish. And my assigned topic uh, was circadian rhythms and shift work. And before I forget, obviously, we'll just do a very quick five minute. In fact, I'm going to start my timer. Uh, we'll do a quick five minute overview. There are two really excellent papers. If you have interest in this topic, there's a, there's a American College of Emergency Physicians, Circadian Rhythms and Shift Work. It's seven pages of fascinating stuff about how you're killing yourself by working shifts. And then there is, for all of you who uh, read the BMJ every single month, uh, in November 2018, there was an article titled Optimizing Sleep for Night Shifts, and we'll kind of hit some of the highlights of that. But those are both really great articles. Um, so we'll start off like many of the others. Oh, and I should say this is, you know, this is kind of the softball topic of the night. It's, it's the wellness topic. And I realized that Nick assigned this to me because I am the scheduler at Swedish and he is the night guy. So he just wanted to reinforce that, in fact, I am killing him. And I do feel very guilty after constructing this lecture. So we'll start with the uh, case presentation, the sleepy intern. So a 29-year-old male finishes his 10-hour overnight shift at a large county teaching hospital. He feels drowsy at the end of his shift. He has a 10-mile commute home by automobile. He pulls up to a downtown intersection in his Mazda protege. Vitals, blood pressure, heart rate 42. Yeah, right? It doesn't even exist anymore. Pain scale, 12 out of 10 from his overnight shift. Sluggish-appearing male, otherwise normal exam. The patient is at risk for which of the following? Neil, what do you think this patient is at risk for? Right, exactly. So this is me. This this uh, case presentation is me. So he is, in fact, at risk for... Oh, and I forgot to say what that was. Do I have a picture there? Oh, no. Uh, motor vehicle accident, near-miss motor vehicle accident. Both of those have been well fleshed out in the literature and New England Journal articles. Disturbed sleep, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, peptic ulcer disease, cancer, shift work disorder. So has anyone ever heard of shift work disorder? It is an official ICD-10 diagnosis, so you can pull it up in Meditech. I'll give you a gift card if someone actually discharges a patient with shift, shift work sleep disorder. Uh, what, what does it mean to have shift work disorder? Probably some of us in the room actually have this. So you have to have insomnia or diff difficulty getting to sleep when you should be sleeping. You're excessively sleeping when you should be doing productive tasks. It's been going on for at least three months. 
it affects your occupation or your home lifestyle. It's not attributable to some other medical problem. And it's actually, there's a, just like there's DSM for uh, psychiatric diagnoses, there's an ICSD, the International Classification of Sleep Disorders, number three, and you'll find it in there. So you get a prize if you diagnose anyone with that. Uh, this poor guy was an intern on his second day of the job at a Montreal company and he fell asleep and they took pictures of him and it blew up on the internet. You can find all kinds of memes, you know, people have posted him into like Marvel movies and other, other <laughs> sitting next to Trump and things like that. Okay. So what happened to me in that scenario? So uh, this is after a DG overnight shift. I basically pulled up to an intersection at Spear, very, very sleepy, stopped appropriately at the red light treated it like a stop sign and just proceeded right through the intersection in front of a cop who pulled me over and said, what the heck are you doing? And, uh, you know, luckily I had my DG badge with me. I told him I was a sleepy intern, all was forgiven, and thankfully nothing happened. But anybody have a near miss after a night shift, driving home from a night shift? Yeah. And I've even been in an accident. Luckily, I was not the one hitting someone else. I got hit, but it potentially could have been avoided. Okay, so a brief review of the stages of sleep. Stage one only lasts five to 10 minutes. Uh, there are alpha and theta waves during that. If you look on EEG, uh, you're very lightly sleeping. In fact, most people, if you wake them up, they'll say, sleeping? What? I wasn't sleeping. Uh, stage two, this is the least understood phase of sleep. Uh, we don't really know what happens during this stage, uh, but you have the, the spindle waves. And then stages three and four REM sleep, you have slower uh, delta waves during stage three, you can think as, of this as restoring your body. So this is when growth hormone is secreted. This is when muscle repair recurs. Stage four, REM sleep, your body is actually paralyzed. You become poikilothermic, so you're like a, you're like a lizard, right? You lose temperature control. Uh, you've got the rapid eye movement, and you can think of this as restoration of your mind. So this is when you consolidate memories. This is when you have uh, plasticity of your neurons. All of this should last about 90 to 110 minutes, and that's important for impacting our behaviors for working in the ER, so we'll get to that in just a minute. Oh, why am I so sleepy? That was supposed to be in the beginning. This is a guy who got arrested, strangely also in Montreal. He, he broke into someone's house at 2.30 in the morning, had some wine, had some pizza, and then tucked himself into their bed and was found in the morning, and sometimes he just can't resist. Okay, a brief review of uh, a grossly oversimplified pathway for sleep. So in your hypothalamus, the SCN or suprachiasmatic nucleus is felt to be the gateway that allows you to sleep or not sleep. And this is heavy, heavily into, influenced by melatonin. So daylight or any light, and particular blue light, is a very potent inhibitor of melatonin. And then darkness is, uh, is kind of a promoter of melatonin, which is secreted by the, the pineal gland. All right, so what happens with the melatonin? You know, it's at a nadir at about two, starts to ramp up at about eight, and uh, levels peak in the middle of the night, and then it goes back down at seven in the morning. And again, why do we need to know this? Well, this should impact your behavior. So you hear a lot about how screen time inhibits your sleep. That's because of the spectrum that's coming from LED bulbs. So basically, if you're looking at daylight, which also inhibits your melatonin, you've got kind of the full spectrum of Roy G. Biv, right? All of the visible colors in the spectrum. But if you look at an LED bulb, you've got this spike of blue light, right? And if you're looking at, say, an LED bulb versus a candle, 
you've got 80% inhibition of your melatonin versus only 2%. So you should all go to bed, or maybe we should be working in the ED by candlelight. <laughs> all right, what can we do to kind of optimize our sleep? Um, we've got three slides on this, and then we'll pretty much be done. This is from that BMJ article. So uh, the day of your first night shift, when your goal is to minimize sleep debt, you should sleep until you wake naturally. Don't set an alarm. Avoid morning coffee and then take a 90-minute nap to complete one sleep cycle between 2 to 6 p.m. So it's interesting. There are different lengths of naps and you can choose. A five-minute nap has actually been shown to increase your attention span, increase your performance on tasks that require attention. So I actually sometimes do this on a night shift. If I'm feeling really sleepy, even if it's busy, usually you've got time. You can lay your head on the desk and take a five-minute nap and it actually will recharge you. A 30-minute nap is even better. We usually don't have time for that in the ED, but that's, that gets you kind of into the second stage of the sleep cycle, right? 30 to 60 minutes is not recommended. Usually you get kind of increased sleep inertia if you've got a nap of that length. So if you're taking a nap before your night shift, you should shoot for about a 90-minute nap, which allows you to complete one sleep cycle, get restorative sleep, and prep you for the night. Okay, during the night shift, stay active. Run, run to all your patients. Uh, take, take naps, right? Take naps of 10 to 20 minutes, not really feasible for us, but you could potentially take a five minute nap. Take caffeine before napping, but the last caffeine, make that the last caffeine of the night. Really, caffeine is not recommended in the last four hours of your night shift. Uh, a lot of us will kind of hold off till the end, 4 a.m. When you're really sleepy, then you hit the caffeine. That's probably not the right way to do it in terms of your sleep hygiene. Uh, how much caffeine? Uh, studies have shown that more than two to three, 300 milligrams is not going to be effective. In fact, you get detrimental effects after that. So if you're hitting more than two to three cups of coffee, it's probably not helping you that much. Prescription wakefulness agents. Uh, this would be modafinil, um, Provigil, these sorts of things. Uh, yeah, cocaine, sure. I mean, they are essentially, Provigil is essentially a form of amphetamine with low abuse potential. Uh, probably not going to be in your armamentarium. Eat lightly and to comfort. Build in checks during critical tasks to mitigate against reduced alertness and performance. This is probably really key. We know if you look in the kind of industrial setting, if you compare a day shift to a swing shift, you're going to have a 6% 6 increase in accidents and errors. If you look at a day shift compared to a night shift, you're going to have about an 18% increase. So we're fooling ourselves if we think we're going to be as good as at taking care of those septic patients in the middle of the night. So good time to listen to your nurses when you have suggestions. Good time to sit down and run the board more than you usually would. Just make sure that you're, that you're getting everything. Okay, try to avoid exposure to bright light. This is we're moving into the last few hours and way home. Uh, really good idea to put on dark sunglasses before you even leave the department because that sunlight, again, is going to inhibit your melatonin as you step outside. Consider public transport rather than driving. And if your hospital doesn't provide, they really should provide a place to nap if you choose before driving home. Okay, last one. Um, which of these will we talk about to make it short? Um, I would say let's talk about days between night shifts. Try to get to sleep as early as possible. It's really tempting to stop at the store or go to the gym or read for a while, but you really should just go straight home and straight to bed without looking at a screen. Before sleeping, avoid bright lights, screens, alcohol. Alcohol is interesting because uh, it really messes with that four-step sleep cycle. It's interesting, the, um, the hypnotics like Ambien 
actually do increase your sleep length, but not your quality of sleep. So if you remember the four sleep cycles, your third stage and your fourth stage are restoration of the mind and restoration of the body. Uh, Ambien actually only increases kind of your second stage of sleep. So it doesn't really do much for you. Uh, and then last one, except that any sleep is better than none, even fragmented or shortened sleep. So, you know, don't just kind of say, oh, I got to go to the dry cleaners and I got to pick up the pet and I got to do this, you know, so I'll just wait until this afternoon to sleep. Even if you get, you know, little two hour blocks, but your total sleep for the day is six hours, that's going to be far better than having a small amount of sleep in one block. So lots more we could say, oh yeah, this is just a fun thing. Uh, when all else fails, you can toss somebody in your bed before you go to sleep. So uh, in the UK in 2010, they did this experiment where you could, you could ask the concierge to have someone come warm up your bed. So a hospital employee would come dressed in like a clean suit, and then they would snuggle in your bed for five minutes without you, and then get out and allow you to go to bed in a pre-warmed bed. So, I mean, Ian has asked me about that before, but I've refused on multiple occasions. <laughs> Post nights and coming back to a normal schedule. So yeah, it's you want to minimize sleep debt. They talk, talk talk about like you finish your three nights. I usually find that if I'm working three nights, that after that third night, that's my best day sleep. Yes, because I'm the most, and I don't want to give it up because I'm afraid of losing overall sleep, sleep debt. debt or creating sleep debt. But that says 180 minute nap. And sure. So I'm with you. It's it's a great question, uh, and there are a lot of people that I think try to go home after their nice nice their last night shift and just sleep a little, and then have a miserable day, and then kind of uh, reset for the night. You know, according to the BMJ recommendations, you should have a minimum of 90 to 180 minutes, and then uh, if you wake spontaneously, you should get up and exercise right away. Actually, that's the best time to exercise when you're having kind of sleep disorders is immediately after you wake. Um, but I'm with you. I would go against these recommendations and say, as long as you're not a person who then is going to have trouble getting to bed that night uh, at, at a normal time, I would say as much sleep as you can in the morning and then again back at nighttime. So other sleep questions? The screen thing, does it help at all to put on, I know you should avoid screens, but yeah. like in the necessity that you have to answer emails and texts before you turn off your phone to try to sleep? Does it help at all to wear sunglasses or anything to mitigate the screen influence or not? Great, great question. No, nobody's really studied that with the screens specifically. There are preliminary studies about the blue blocker sunglasses, and they seem to be effective, but these are very preliminary pilot studies. And you, you know, and they're do the yeah. There's a dark right. There's a dark mode now to most smartphones that can help with your sleep. Yeah. No alcohol. <laughs> you know, I remember there was a nurse when I first started at Swedish who worked exclusively nights, and her protocol was she would always go home and have a glass of wine and two Vicodin after pretty much every night shift to sleep. You know, obviously that's not recommended. Melatonin, melatonin is effective in doses of 0.5 milligrams up to 5 milligrams, but it's most effective for decreasing your onset of sleep. The evidence is kind of soft on whether it increases the quality and length of your sleep, but melatonin is pretty benign. 
three, four stages? No. I mean, environmental changes, you know, diminishing sound, uh, dark blinds, things like that. So, okay, thanks. If you enjoy the Emergency Medical Minute, please help us out by rating us on iTunes. For more free medical education, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Make a donation and subscribe to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.